Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salam Ala khatmil anbiya Ashraf al-mursaleen Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Amma ba'd We pick up at a point In the history of mankind Not just in the life of the Prophet Not just in the history of Islam But in the point in the history of the entire humanity that is one of the most critical and important times in the history of mankind. And that is the beginning of the wahi. When the Quran, Kalamullah, the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the final complete revelation that is to be preserved and a guidance for mankind till the day of judgment is about to be revealed. And if you think about it, this is such an important time that all of mankind would not yani, understand its importance because it is not just yani, something like a world war, like we talk about world wars, but wars come and go. It doesn't change the course of humanity. It might change borders, it may change for a while who's dominant and so on. But the Quran from its revelation till the day of judgment would change the course of the entire humanity. The final guidance how to live is revealed. But how, was, how did this happen? The hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something we don't think about. And he imagined if it was just revealed yani from nowhere right on the Prophet sallallahu Jibreel alayhi salam coming in his full form without any preparation. Humans couldn't handle such a thing. And Allah knows his makhluq, he knows his creation better than they know themselves. So knowing that a preparation was needed, the, the hikmah, the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that the Prophet sallallahu started to get some very clear signs before Jibreel even came. Like all of us, when we talk about Wahi, we think the first revelation of Wahi began in the Ghar of Al-Hira, when Jibreel told the Prophet Iqra. Like this is what's known. But this is not true. In fact, before that, the Wahi began. And now when I just said that, everybody's hairs are what? Inshallah, we'll get to you with Adilla, Inshallah, evidences. So, we talked about earlier, the Prophet ﷺ, he did not worship idols. He was never a mushrik. He never worshipped idols. And he was with some other people like Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufil and uh, Nufil ibn, uh, ibn Nufil and others who were also people of Tawheed. But there was no da'wah. You know? And at this time, when the Prophet ﷺ was not worshipping idols and he was still praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there were no hardships. And I want you to keep this in mind as we go with the Dulus. Meaning the Quraysh didn't go after him. They didn't try to uh, harm him. They knew he didn't worship idols. They knew that he would go and worship none but the Rabb of the Kaaba, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they were like, so what? And that's how society is. If you just go and pray in a corner, nobody cares. But keep that in mind when we talk about the da'wah and the hardship the Prophet will face. And the same thing is true today for our society as well. So at that time, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inclined the heart of the Prophet towards going and being secluded and worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah, this is a form of ibadah, meaning to be alone and remember Allah. To be alone and to think about the Quran and its meaning for us today. And this is a form of ibadah that is almost finished. Illa mashaAllah, except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills, yani people have left this. Everybody today just likes to be around people. But sometimes, even after Nabuwa, the Prophet ﷺ would go in Al-Badu'ah, which is when he would go away and sit in Medina even, as a hayt from Aisha and he would go to a place where there was water and there was beautiful nature, and he would just think about the greatness of Allah. Even though he didn't, we don't have any hadith of him going back to Al-Hira, the Ghar of Al-Hira, no. But even afterwards, to sit alone and to ponder upon the greatness of Allah, this is an ibadah. One of the great earlier scholars, Uyus al-Qarni, Uyus al-Qarni al-Tabi'i, the one that Rasulullah sallallahu praised and told Umar Radiyan that he would come and so on. Everybody knows Uyus al-Qarni. He would have been a Sahabi, but he didn't want to leave his mother who was in need of him to come. That's why he's a Tabi'i. But the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu predicted his coming to Medina. And this is one of the miracles, one of the prophecies that came to from the Prophet sallallahu al-Qarni, once a man met him and said, I just came to يعني, speak with you because I was bored alone. And he alone, I was bored. Always Al-Qarni said, this is something amazing. How can somebody be bored when they have khalwa with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And this means our hearts today are detached from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we're alone and making dua or reading a book or making dhikr, it bores us. We have to entertain our mind, we have to get on our phone, we have to get on our laptop, we have to insta message somebody, we have to Facebook live chat somebody, we have to go visit somebody, we have to hang out with somebody. We don't know how to make dua. We don't know how to increase our salah alone. But the Prophet Allah wanted to cleanse him and cleanse him and cleanse him and make him have that khalwa to prepare his heart for the way. So at this time, the Prophet ﷺ, even though he has a tijara, he has businesses going on, and he has, alhamdulillah, he's married, he has a wife and all of that, he has children, and he has children, at this time, it's not like he's a bachelor, but he would take time and go and spend time in the ghar, in the cave of Al-Hira. This is in the mountain, today we call it Jabal Nur, and mountain of light. And the ghar, we call it Al-Hira, even though, we're, we know Jabal Nur, we know which one it is, because the people have mutawatiran pointed this out. Which exact cave is it? We don't know. People have a sign like this is it, they've painted signs and things, but we don't really. There are a few that historians have pointed towards and so on. Why? It's something interesting, right? Why? Why is it that we are sure about where the Qabr of Rasulullah is? We know where Jantul Baqi is, we know where Hajr uh, al-Aswad is, we know where the Kaaba is, no doubt. But we are not sure exactly which ghar it is. Why? Because it is not an ibadah in and of itself today to go visit it. Okay? If you go visit it to get a historic understanding, well, no problem with that. Like if you go visit where Badr happened and where Uhud happened and where different things happened. But it is not a part of Hajj or Umrah 
or an ibadah in itself. That's why we don't see the Sahaba going up there after Wahi. We don't see the Tabi'un and others going there. Today it's become like a tourist spot. Right? You go for Hajj and Umrah, you're not worried about being in the Haram, you're not worried about yani, your Tawaf and thing, you're like, I want to go sightseeing. And then people that bus goes there, and people get out, and they're taking selfies, and they're making pictures, and, and then everybody thinks this is as if it's a part of the Ibadah. It's not. Like I said, nothing wrong with going to these sites and learning the history, but don't think that this is an Ibadah in itself, and that is why we're not sure. But we do know from Sahih Hadith that there is a Ghar called Hira, and this is where Rasulullah used to go and meditate. And he used to make dua, and he used to make azkar, and he used to make salah in the way that Allah revealed to him from, the, from what they knew from Ibrahim and so on. Meaning, it's not like Dhuhr and Asr and Maghrib because these salawat were not ordained here. But he used to make sujood in whatever way that he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed And he would go for sometimes three days and four days and five days and his wife Subhanallah. And you think about Khatija radiallahu anha. Look at what a, a beautiful example she is for the women of our ummah. She didn't tell him, where are you going? You got kids at home? Why aren't you at home with me? Why aren't you spending time with me? Why are you up there by yourself? Who's up there with you? Who are you seeing up there? <laughs> right? Subhanallah. No. She supported him. When he would go and just make ibadah for three days and four days, subhanAllah, I was looking in Sahih Muslim, there is a hadith that even mentions for a one month. SubhanAllah, he would go up there even for a month and be by himself, just worshipping Allah. And this is the beauty that there are many ibadat that were in it. Right? One of them, uh, and I'll mention some, Imam Ibn Hajar Asqalani, in Fath al-Bari, he mentions three. He says the first ibadah there is khalwa, being alone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is something beautiful. Like I said, this is an ibadah in itself that most of us have lost today. And then he says, ta'abud, yani he would worship, he would pray, he would make dhikr, he would make dua. So that ibadah there. And the third, he mentioned another ilal bayt, baytullah. Yani looking towards the house of Allah. I mean, this is one of the beautiful things when you go up on Jabr Nur where Gharahira is. When you look down, you will see Baytullah. You will see the house of Allah, the Kaaba. You will see it from there. And even looking at Baytullah is an ibadah, as Ibn Hajar Asqalani says. So Ibn Hajar says that this, these all ibadat were in the Prophet going up there. I would say that there are additional ibadat. I say, what about another one, the fourth? I would say, tafakkur. To think about the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, upon the makhluk of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the azmat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of that is a part of the ibadah that this Rasul used to do now. From wahi onwards, he did not know go, go back there, right? So after wahi, other ibadat were revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's what we have to do. It doesn't mean that after wahi we say instead of praying, uh, Fajr and Dhuhr and Maghrib and Isha in the Haram, we're going to go to Al-Hira and hang out there. No. Because that wahi then told you what has to be revealed. Here Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he would go and he would make dua and he would make afkar. And this was to, to empty his heart, to prepare it for the wahi. But there are some other forms of preparation that are in Sahih Ahadith. 
in Sahih Muslim, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi the Prophet himself, he told us that there was a hajar, there was a stone that said salam to him. And from the yani, siyak of the hadith, this is before Nabuwa. Yani, this is before Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi became a prophet. He said this stone, he said salam alaikum ya Rasulullah to me. And the Prophet sallallahu is not yani, uh, ordained with the risala yet, but it is preparing him. Like the earlier miracles we talked about, when he was going to Sham and the people recognized him as a prophet of Allah and so on, when Khatija radiyallahu saw the malaika giving shade, all of these sahih ahadith, authentic ahadith, show miracles to prepare the prophet and prepare the Quraysh. For example, if Jibreel just came to a man and told him, you are the prophet of Allah, this is a message. sometimes you couldn't handle it. But if you had these signs, if you, if you heard a rock telling you, you are the messenger of Allah to be, then it prepares you. So when you get the Rasala, you're ready for it. And the Quraysh, when they saw these miracles, when they heard about when Rasulullah was going to Sham and Maysara and others, they came back and they gave this news. It also prepared those whose hearts were clean to accept the message because they saw these signs coming. So the Prophet he said, Inni la'araf, yani, I still know Hajaran, I still know that Hajar bil Mecca. I still know, Rasulullah said, I still know, I can show you which stone that was. Kana yusallam, yani, he used to say, Salam alayya, qabla an abhatha, yani, before I was given the Nabuwa. Yani, subhanallah, even before prophethood, this miracle happened to the Prophet. The books of Sirah also have a tree that said salam to the Prophet ﷺ, but that hadith is da'if. Here in these durus, we stick to authentic ahadith. This is in Sahih Muslim, it's authentic. The one about the tree, even though we find it in some very popular Sirah books, but it's a weak narration. The strong narration mentions the rock. Another narration that many people do not realize, even the first time I did this dar, somebody came and said, oh, it's da'if, but it's actually Sahih. It is in the Sunan of a darani some one of the books of hadith that people don't open a lot nowadays, you know. People think there's six books and that's it. No, there are many books of hadith. And that is why for these durus we reach out to those books and collect all that is authentic. In the Sunan of Imam al-Darami, there is a Sahih Rawayah. And I checked this uh, Rawayah myself. I also looked at the Takhreet of Shaykh al-Albani uh, in his Sahihah. He has graded this hadith in 1545, hadith number to be authentic. Abu Dhar al-Ghafari radiallahu anhu asked the Prophet sallallahu when did you realize that you were destined for Prophet, for Nabuwa? So the Prophet sallallahu told him himself. This is Sahih Marfu' and from the Prophet sallallahu himself. He said, I saw two angels in the form of men. Now again, this is the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they were not in their original form because that may be something that would be difficult for somebody who has never seen yani Jibreel السلام, as we'll talk about later, if he's in his real form, his feet are on the earth and his, his head is past the Samawat. His wings cross, they, they cover the east to the west and he has 600 of the So Imagine a person, any human being, and the Prophet what's a human being, who's not prepared, sees this out of the blue, they, they might have a heart attack, they, they might, the, 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 the awe of it, the rock of it would be too much. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from his hikmah is preparing the Prophet with miracles but in a way that you can handle it. And Allah knows best. 
So in this hadith, two malaika they came in the form of men. One of them stayed up in the sky. So the Rasul realizes that they're not like average men. They are malaika, but they're not in their full shape. They are in the shape of men. One of them in the sky and one of them came to me next to me on the earth. And the one said to the other one, he said, is he the one? The other one said, yes, he is the one. So he told them, this is something that was not known by the Prophet what they're talking about at first. Now there is a, a long riwayah that Imam al-Bayhaqi and Abu Nu'im have also mentioned, which is Sahih as well, authentic. Where at this time, it's not the one in Sunan al-Darami, but this is a longer version. Where it mentions that they again opened the heart of the Prophet and washed it. This is, as we mentioned earlier in the Durus, it didn't just happen once in the lifetime of the Prophet Once when he was a child, and now again when he's about to get prophethood, to prepare his heart to receive that message. So once again, another miracle of the Prophet ﷺ, another sign of the truthfulness of his prophethood, his heart is cleansed one more time. And it will be again, we'll talk about the Sahih Ahadith on that in the future as well. But the riwayah back in Sunan Ad-Darani, where Rasulullah ﷺ, he says that one of the men, he said to the other, Zinhu. He had a scale, and he said, weigh him. And it's not a dream, this is something he was awake, this was a physical miracle. And here, he said that he weighed me with, that he said, uh, first with a person from his ummah. And then he says, in ten min ummatihi, against ten people from the ummah. And then he said, then he said to, to increase that bilmi'ah. So the scale is the Prophet on one side, and a person from his ummah, then ten, then a hundred, and the scale is heavier on the scale with, with Rasulullah And explain this hadith, don't worry. Why am I mentioning it here? Because Abu Dhar when he asked Rasulullah what was the first time to, this means this was before Jibreel began. So before that, Rasulullah is being shown something by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he continues with a thousand people from the ummah to weigh him. Then the Malik, he says that even if he was weighed against his whole ummah, he will be heavier in the scale. SubhanAllah. Sahih hadith. First thing, of course, this is preparing the Prophet showing him that he is the one that is chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what else is it doing? It is preparing the ummah to know the value of Rasulullah sallallahu Subhanallah, think about this hadith. If the entire ummah, all of the sahaba, all of the tabi'un, all of the great imma and ulama and shuyukh and allamat and all those great scholars that we've had and pious people and awliya and all of them are put on one side of the scale and only Muhammad sallallahu on the other scale, that scale is heavier. What does that tell us? That we don't take anybody above Rasulullah sallallahu We don't take anybody's qawl above the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu And we lost that message. Today we tell somebody, Rasul alayhi salatu told us this, and they say, my imam said this. 
Today we say Rasul والسلام, he prayed this way. They say Ali bin Abi Talib, Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi'i, Abdul Qadir. Whatever name of great Ali Rabianu, Hassan Hussein, Radiallahu uh, the uh, four Imma, we love all of them. They are great ulama. They are Ali Rabian is from the Khulafa, he's from Sahabi, Hassan Hussein Radiyallahu from the, the leaders of the youth of Jannah, from the Sahaba, all of but we don't take anybody above Rasulullah. Not an imam, not a alim, not no disrespect to any of them. But what happened to the ummah today when we say Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi in the authentic hadith, he did it this way. They tell us, but my people do it this way. But this hadith was showing the ummah, no. You have to understand, no alim knows better than the Prophet sallallahu Nobody. So the Prophet sallallahu was given this miracle and this sign to prepare him and to prepare the ummah when he would convey this message for us to know and to follow how to understand. Today we, we, we've lost this message. Today we look at yani, the love for others above Rasulullah sallallahu Rasulullah sallallahu has told us in a sahih hadith and Anas radiallahu anhu that Rasulullah said thalafa there are three, man kunna fihi. Whoever has these three together, wajda. They will feel halawatul iman, the sweetness of iman. If you want to taste the sweetness of iman, these three things you should have. The first, an yakuna Allahu wa rasuluhu ahabba ilayhi mimma siwaahuma. That Allah and His Rasul are more beloved to Him or her than anybody other than them. More than any imam, more than any alim, more than any president, more than any king, more than any family member, more than a parent, more than a child, more than a spouse, more than your relatives, more than anybody else. Qala Allah wa qala Rasul. Hub Allah wa Rasulim. Love for Allah and His Messenger. So if you know something is from the sunnah, no matter who tells you what, you stick to the sunnah. If you know this is what Allah has ordained in the Quran, this is the Sharia, this is what Rasul has brought from his Sunnah, don't care about any king, government, people, political party, wanting, loving you, hating you, canceling you, this, that, no. When you have this, you will taste the sweetness. Otherwise you may think you're tasting Iman, but you're not because this is the hadith of Rasulullah The second, that he an that he loves a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for no other reason illa lillah. Sometimes you love somebody because they're funny, you love somebody because they're cool, you love somebody because they can get you into a political position, you love somebody because they can help you out financially, you can love somebody because they have a nice car. But sometimes you love somebody for no reason except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now that person may be rich, that person may be powerful, that person may be a king, but your love for them is not for those, your love for them is only Lillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the second sifat. And third, 
that you hate to go back to your jahiliyyah, to your days of ignorance of your before Islam, whether it was when you were sinful or whether it was before you were Muslim or when you were ignorant and you didn't know or you didn't take the religion seriously, whatever you would hate to go back to that, like you would hate to be physically thrown in the fire. Like somebody takes you and throws you in fire, like everybody would hate that. Like that, you hate the jahiliyyah, you hate kufr. And if you haven't experienced jahiliyyah, then you hate what jahiliyyah represents. Like you would hate to be thrown on the... You, you don't look up to kuffar. You don't look up to fusaq. You don't look up to fujar. People today... Na'udhu billah. This is why I don't have social media, alhamdulillah. I don't have Facebook. I don't have Snapchat. I don't have any of that. Even my Twitter account is not controlled by me. Alhamdulillah. Why? Because wallahi, I don't want to see Muslims' uh, uh, Facebook accounts and things. Because they put stuff that would make me want to throw up. You see a Muslim praising a kafir... Fasiq, Fajr, Mulhid, Atheist, making dua for them, showing uh, hearts on them. Huh? What's wrong with you? How can you praise somebody who makes shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is worse the dhulam than a murderer and a rapist? This is, this is uh, uh, something we forget today. Today, we, we don't have that love for Rasulullah sallallahu above all the other things. Today, if I make the dars long, everybody's upset. But if you go watch a movie for three and a half hours, you're going to stay for the credits. Let's see if there's a, a, a funny scene in the end. What do you call those scenes after the credits? Huh? Come on. Don't act like you don't know. What's it called? Huh? Post-credit scenes. You're sitting in that theater wasting your time watching. Is there post-credit scenes? You don't get bored there? Why? Because the iman fixed their heart. You open the Qur'an, boom, you're asleep. May Allah protect me and you. When you talk about things like, وَضَعْنِ uh, I'm not, look, I'm not afraid to offend any of you. If you don't want to listen, there's the door. You don't want to watch, turn it off. We talk about folding the hands in salah. It's not something, but somebody will try to justify not folding by any which way. They will not just say, okay, this Imam took an opinion. No, they will take a hadith and they'll cut it. They'll take a sahih hadith from Bukhari and they'll try to weaken it. They'll try to take a, a hadith from a sahabi and they'll try to flip it on its head. Why? Whose qawl do you want to justify over that of Rasulullah sallallahu Whose fi'l, whose action do you love above that of Rasulullah sallallahu I was writing a book on the issue of Raful Yadain. I went to a scholar myself to a shaykh al-hadith, one who teaches hadith in a, in, in a madrasa. And I said, you know, I'm writing this book, I just want you to take a look at it, read it, in case my evidence is maybe I'm weak on something or something. Please, I mean, I want to be corrected. This person, he took the hadith, he wrote it, and he goes, you know what, your book is good, but there is a mistake. This hadith in al-Bukhari, Sahih al-Bukhari, from Ibn Umar, this is not right. Why is it not right? It mentions it very clearly. He says, what happened is, and this is a mufti, alim, he told me this myself. He said, what happened is, Rasulullah sallallahu was making salam, there was a fly. I don't know where you got this from. Right? A fly came from nowhere. And he was swatting the fly, subhanAllah. And while he's swatting the fly, Ibn Umar thought he was making Garaful then, but really he wasn't. He was swatting a fly. What Islam is this? First thing, where is that evidence-wise? Where is that riwayah? Where is the sanad? Which book of the shuru' hadith is that in? None. 
Secondly, on top of that, you think Rasulullah was flooding flies in his salah? Is that the khushu of the salah of Rasul And you are, you are disrespecting not just the Prophet but Ibn Umar. You think he didn't know the difference between swatting a fly and making rafa gadayn? I gave him 27 sahih ahadith from 27 different sahaba. All of them didn't recognize it. How many flies were being swatted? Why? Not that he doesn't know better, but the heart has become connected to something other than Allah and His Prophet. So now he will disregard the Quran and the Sahih Hadith to justify this. This is not something, we see this with bid'ah all the time. So when we mention the hadith of Rafu al like when you start to begin the salah, you make Rafu al Then you make it again when going into Ruku. And you make it again when getting up from Ruku. So the second Rafu al And third, there was a discussion. I wrote a book on it. It's online. You can get a PDF. It's called Abdal al-Qawlain fi Mas'ala Rafu al So they were trying to disregard the ahadith on it. But not just that. We see it all the time. The Pokemon hadith. Anybody heard of this? If you haven't, a particular speaker, I'm not going to mention his name here, in trying to get justify women being in the masjid more even under circumstances when they shouldn't, he said the hadith about Rasulullah telling the woman that your salah at home is better than your salah in the masjid, this particular speaker, may Allah forgive him and forgive us and guide us and guide him, he said, oh what really happened is that the sahabiyah was making salah and her husband, the sahabi was poking her because he was jealous. Where is this hadith? We know the hadith where Rasulullah said the salah of the woman at home is better. We know the hadith Rasulullah said don't stop the women from coming to Where did you make up this hadith? Why? For your own interest. You make up a hadith. He says, oh this sahabi was poking. What sahabi would poke his, his wife during salah? How could you make buhtan? Like, like, like that kind of an accusation against a sahaba. And then when she came to the Prophet ﷺ, because the Sahabi wasn't letting her pray because he was jealous of Allah. Who, man, if my wife makes Salah all night alone in a room, I'll be more than happy. Alhamdulillah, she's making Salah. I mean, this is the, the, the unfortunate man. And these people are popular speakers, but they make up stuff. Why? Because of some... Now today we see many people justifying men and women shaking hands. Sahih hadith from Rasul that it's better that a hot burning coal is put on your hand than you touch the hand of a non-mahram woman and so on. But no, they were disregarded. Why? Because of the nafs. They want to be out there shaking hands with congresswomen and people and they want to be out there. I would shake hands if I was in Netherlands. What was it? Denmark? Netherlands? What was that? I didn't say that. Somebody else said that. If you have the weakness of Iman and you want to go do something, khalas, ask Allah for Tawbah. Don't justify it. Don't try to change the sharia. So Rasulullah sallallahu now Allah subhanahu wa is preparing him six months prior to Jibreel salam coming to him in the Ghar of Hira. Six months prior to that in Sahih al-Bukhari, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi he told us awwala, uh, and the hadith from Aisha radiyallahu as well, and other sahaba, where Rasulullah said the first that began with wahi for the Rasul salam was that he would see dreams and they would come true as they were. The Rawaya also in the uh, Jami of At-Tirmidhi mentioned they would be like the clear morning. What does that mean? That for six months, 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would see a dream and that would be a part of wahi. These dreams are a part of wahi. That's why I said the wahi began before Jibreel alayhi salam coming. That is the beginning of the revelation of the Qur'an. But Rasulullah was being inspired with these dreams from wahi because he says this is a part of wahi. Six months before that. So what would happen? He would see a dream alayhi salatu salam and it would come true exactly like it. And it would be a clear dream. There would be no, like, you know, Rasulullah us dreams are of three types. One of them, and this is in the uh, Sunan of Ibn Majah, but it's a Sahih Hadith, Hadith number 3907. He says that one of them is the tricks of Shaitan. Shaitan, he doesn't sleep. Hassan al-Basri was asked, does Shaitan sleep? He said, if Shaitan slept, we would get a break. <laughs> Even when you're sleeping, Shaitan is coming in the dreams and whispering to you. So sometimes you get a dream that takes you towards something haram or builds a liking towards something haram. Sometimes you have dreams that next you need to make ghusl from them. Sometimes you have dreams where, where you're inclined towards something that Allah has made haram. These are the waswas of shaitan. And sometimes you have dreams that give you huzan, like it saddens you and things. These are from the uh, waswas of shaitan. Shaitan, he comes in the dreams. And he tries to whisper things to give you images in your dreams. Those are the dreams from shaitan. Then there are the dreams from the confused thoughts of people. You know, whatever you saw that day, whatever you thought about, let's say you have a big test coming up in your dream, you'll have like an examination hall or something, you know, you have something, a, a due date, you'll see a big clock falling on you or something, right? Those are from your thoughts, right? Some things like this comes from the thoughts of insan. And the last of them is the dreams that are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are juz min al-wahi. They are a part of wahi. In one of the narrations, it mentions that it is 146th of the wahi. Juz min sittati warba'in juz'an min al-nabuwa. This rawaya from the Majah. What does that tell you? 143rd of wahi of Nabuwa. Now this is something interesting. When I first read this hadith years and years and years ago, I didn't understand it. Like I was like, that's a pretty specific calculation. Like it's not like one third or one half or one part or one hundredth. It's one forty-third, right? Forty-sixth, uh, I'm sorry. So one forty-sixth. Right? So when you look at forty-six parts, it's not like a natural place to cut off. And Rasulullah told us this hadith during his life. Like Nabuwa had not finished. The whole Quran had not been revealed. But the ulema of Islam, subhanAllah, when they looked at it, they said the Nabuwa of the Prophet was 23 years. 23 years. That does not, that counting does not begin with Jibreel coming. The, the beginning of Wahi begins with six months before that. And this is why the six months, and even the Rasulullah has not been given the Risala yet. But these six months are a part of that 23 years of the Wahi being coming down. And if you take six months and calculate it out of what percentage is that from 23 years, it comes out to be 146. Now this hadith is a miracle in itself. Why? One, the Prophet said this, before those 23 years were over. Right? 
if he was not a true prophet of Allah, if this hadith wasn't from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not just the Quran, the wahi is not just the Quran, if the sunnah was not from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how would he know? How long the wahi would last? That it would be 143rd? He wouldn't know. This, is, this shows you a miracle of the Prophet ﷺ. It also shows you that Sunnah is also from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not in the Quran. This is a hadith. But it showed the exact amount that these six months would be as a part of the 23 years of Nabuwa. And it tells you that Wahi began before that time because this is before Jibreel alayhi salam, salatu salam came. This miracle came when the Prophet ﷺ was about 40 years, 6 months, and 12 days of age. About. Like we said, these historic uh, timelines are calculated by the scholars of uh, Tariq. But interestingly, this is the lunar calendar. This is the lunar calendar. If we use the same uh, amount of time from the solar calendar as we usually use nowadays, it's 39 years, 3 months, and about 22 days. In Ar-Rahik, Al-Mubarakpuri and others have mentioned this. Rasulullah at this time now, after six months of seeing clear miracles where he would see a dream and it would come true and he would tell his wife about it. So the Quraysh and those that are close to the Prophet also see that a supernatural way of knowing what will happen is being revealed to the Prophet He himself is realizing this at this time. He goes up to Ghar-e-Hira and he has been there worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then we'll pick up at the next dars inshallah what will happen next.